It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. I am amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Ian Brody, the UK-based author of Email Persuasion, Captivate and Engage Your Audience, Build Authority, and Generate More Sales with Email Marketing. You know, if you say the words email marketing, most people automatically assume that you're talking about spam or some other impersonal mass email campaign to generate new leads. And we've all received those emails and, you know, they always seem to be addressed with the word hi, followed by your first name. And there's a role for that, I guess, but what about using email as one of your most effective tools for some seemingly prosaic tasks like following up with potential prospects that had expressed some interest in your product or service? Ian is an expert in email marketing and is here to help us sort out how to use it to engage and sell. So, Ian, welcome to the show. Hey, pleasure to be here, Andy. So, take a minute and introduce yourself to the audience a little bit. Okay, well, I think you've said my name. I'm Ian Brody, based here in the UK. Um, I am... I guess a consultant by background, I would say, rather than a salesperson. I always consider myself a, an amateur or a meddler when it comes to sales <laughs> in that I think many people in a great number of professions um, you know, start off from a, from a technical background. I actually worked in, in R&D for a while and then became a management consultant. Um, and it was a huge shock to me. It was a, a horrific shock at the time when I discovered that in order to work on the exciting consulting projects that I wanted to work on in order to get promoted, I would actually have to learn how to sell. So I, <laughs> kill, I what, kill, kill what you eat. Or eat, yeah, what, eat, what, eat what you kill, excuse me. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, preferably kill it first. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, it really was. Uh, and I, I don't know why, but I just had not realized that because I'd come from working for a high-tech R&D firm where we had dedicated salespeople. I just had thought, assumed that people would sell stuff and I would go and deliver it and be a wonderful consultant and clients would love me and I wouldn't have to get involved in that horrible meeting and talking to people and persuading them to hire you. But and and I, I was just so far from a natural at it. It was ridiculous. But I, thankfully, I had some good mentors, and I kind of learned ways that worked for me. So, well, what was I, the hardest thing for you to learn about selling? The hardest thing for me to learn about selling. Oh, there were lots of hard things. I I am painfully shy. That was probably the biggest initial thing. I just did not like or enjoy any form of cold contact. Um, you, you know, I'd be the kid who, well, you know, when they have the school dance, mm-hmm. and I'd, one of the many kids, you know, standing at one side of the room. The wallflowers. Waiting, yeah, the wallflowers, waiting for a girl to come and ask me to dance. Of course, all the girls that you wanted to dance with are over the other side of the room, <laughs> waiting for you to come and ask them to dance. Um, eventually, someone's got to ask someone to dance, but of course, it just doesn't happen. And I, I'm painfully shy, didn't enjoy that. Um, and I guess that was one of the things that worked for me, was finding ways in which I could interact and 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 make contact with people that didn't feel to me as if I was being an imposition as if I was being pushy as if I was being some annoying person you mentioned before in the, in the intro about the kind of the cold spammy um emails and you know that I I've had that both with with email with um, and in real life I just don't feel comfortable doing that so I had to kind of come up with or learn or discover or copy from other people ways of of selling and marketing that I was actually capable of doing, and and, and the more I beca- the more experienced I became, the more I realised that I wasn't like an, a, a massive outlier on the ninety ninth percentile. Actually, 
you know the the stereotype of the salesperson as some huge extrovert that um, really enjoys meeting people and schmoozing and shaking hands, even if he doesn't know them and slaps their back and all that kind of stuff. That, that doesn't that that person is a rarity. That, you know, yeah. Most yeah. of us, most of us in reality are somewhere in the middle. Um, I think I think it's been known as an ambivert these days. We've got hints of in, in, introvert, <laughs> hints of extrovert. Right. Um, and most people I think are somewhere in the middle and. Uh, therefore need a little bit extra, need some methods and techniques that, that they feel comfortable with that, rather than being absolute naturals or just flouncing up to anyone and, and meeting them or emailing anyone cold and, and, and just managing to get away with it through sheer force of personality. So, so what technique did you develop? I mean, was this before email? This was before email. It was, it was kind not of... To, a, not to date you. I didn't mean to date you. But. It was, to, well, to be, to be truthful, it wasn't... It wasn't before email, but it was before email was very um, common. I, I suppose I was lucky enough that I was sending emails in the in the eighties, um, even perhaps even earlier. Um, you know, even before the world was connected through 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 the the World Wide Web. I was mm-hmm. uh, I used to get involved in a lot, a lot of technology stuff, so I was quite email au fait very early on. But but in those days that I'm talking about, what what I found worked for me. Was the I mean the real shock for me was when I stopped being a consultant for a big client I was working for one of our biggest global accounts and so and became made an account manager, and suddenly I became responsible obviously for sales rather than delivery of projects mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the clients wanted to, you know, stopped wanting to have meetings with me that was the painful <laughs> thing for me before I'd been Mr Nice Guy whenever you know whenever I called them it would have been to you know with some ideas or to talk about a project we were working on and stuff like that now they knew whenever I called them. It was because I wanted to sell them something, and they, you know, perhaps weren't ready or didn't particularly want to talk about selling, or the approach I was using was wrong, or whatever. So it was like, it became, uh, like Star Wars, and Luke, come to the dark side. It was. It was a bit like that. I was kind of thrown <laughs> to the dark side, really. And th- there was a combination of factors. One is, of course, that you know, the, the willingness of clients to take calls from me. Now they knew my main goal was to sell them stuff. Went down. Mm-hmm. Secondly. Because I didn't feel all that comfortable calling people to kind of say, well, you know, would you like to grab a coffee and talk about maybe some of your needs and how we could help you? Um, I, I didn't do that as much as I should. Uh, and so, of course, the sales began to dry up and uh, and my future was not looking very, very positive. Um, but then almost accidentally, what happened is we, our company um, did a research, we did an annual research project. And this is the client was a pharmaceutical company. And we did an annual research project into the latest trends in pharma, and particularly in marketing and sales. And they, they they did the research and they had the published report. And I thought, oh, just almost on the off chance, I kind of said, well, you know, we emailed a couple of my contacts and or phoned one of them and said, would you like a copy of this research report? And to my shock, they all went, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. And, and then I said, well, oh, great. And after you've read it, would you like one of the people who wrote it to come and talk to you and present the results? Oh, that'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. And I thought, oh, my God, this is like <laughs> all of a sudden, instead of me being the unwanted person trying to push something on them, um, they're interested in taking a call from me. And then I found that, you know, even simple things like if we had a if we were hosting a dinner with a guest speaker where who was talking about an interesting topic, um, they were interested in that as well. Well, because you, you had something of value for them, right? That's, <clears throat> that's one of the key one of the key things I you know, I try to get across to salespeople on the show and in my books is if you deliver something of value, they want to talk to you. That um, for me, that is just the, the, you know the, the, that was a, a staggering realization. Of course, I slapped myself afterwards for not realizing it earlier, because I'm exactly the same, and I'm sure all of us are. We, you know, we want to have meetings with people who can add value to us. We don't want to have meetings with people whose only agenda is to sell us stuff, unless 
you're in that particular point of time where you really do need what it is they have to sell. And even then, these days, I've found I, I had a caller, I remember a couple of years ago, from um, where, where I was uh, I was thinking about changing banks because my the online banking experience with the bank I was with was pretty awful, thinking of changing banks. And I got a cold call from one of our bigger banks here in the UK. And it was perfect timing because I was thinking of changing banks. And uh, and they called to, to say, well, we've got this great new online banking thing you can get for business. Would you like uh, me to explain it? So it was absolutely perfect. So, of course, I said, no, thank you, and hung up. Because we, we just, many of us these days, and maybe I'm an extreme example, just would prefer to do our own research. We, right. we want to be given information. Now, if that person had phoned up and said, hey, um, what we've done is we've just made a quick cheat sheet comparing all the different business bank accounts and the, and the different features of them. Would you like me to send you a copy? I'd have gone, yeah, great. That would be really handy. But because of their agenda was obviously to sell to me, um, and because I don't need to be sold to, I can do research. I can do it myself now. You know, there used to be a time when, the, you know, having a meeting with a salesperson was the price you had to pay to get information about what was on the market. That's no longer the case. So, you know, we're not willing to pay that price. We'll do our own research, by and large, unless the salesperson has something of value to offer to us. I mean, the way I describe it these days is, and apologies to insurance salespeople here, but, but it, you know, it, it's a... It, because of the stereotype, it uh, the, the description works and gets gets my audiences to laugh when I talk about it. But I offer them the chance of kind of meeting with a, an insurance salesperson, you know, to those people in the audience who, who don't need to renew their insurance right now. Would, I know this great insurance person, salesperson, you'd love him. He's a really nice guy. Would you like to meet with him for, for 15, 20 minutes for him to tell you about his products and services and how they might help you? And usually out of a room of 20, 30 people, one person says, oh, all right. Um, but then if you say to them, Tell you what, here's an alternative. How about if I can get you 15 minutes with Richard Branson where you can bounce some ideas about business? Anyone up for that? And, of course, everyone, you know, except the one person who doesn't like Richard Branson, you <laughs> say Warren Buffett or whatever. But, you know, the difference is, is huge, and it's because they think they'll get value from a meeting with Richard Branson, and they think some of his ideas might actually be useful to them. To, to them. Not just value from – we all have value. I'm sure the insurance salesperson thinks a meeting with them will be hugely valuable because they'll be able to do them a great deal on their insurance. But that's all future value. It's all, if you buy from me, you'll get great value from it. With the meeting with Branson, it's value in the meeting itself. So, you know, the ability to add value in every interaction you have with a potential client, to me, is it's an order of magnitude difference in terms of the number of meetings you get. You know, we, we well, were... absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I, in my first book, I, I coined an acronym for that, which I called Selling with MILT, which is maximum impact in the least time, and that impact being value, right? Absolutely. That's what you're trying to achieve when you, because you're trying to consume the least of the customer's time as possible to be able to accomplish that, but you have to deliver the maximum value. Absolutely. And I think we were, I personally think we worry too much about technique. So, you know, whenever people talk to me about, you know, making a first approach to a potential client, they'll kind of go, well, what, what's the right subject line I should use on the email? And uh, should I email cold? Should I, should I maybe call them? Should I ask for a referral? If I'm asking for a referral, what words should I use? And you, they go through all these machinations about the technique they're going to use. But the bigger question is, you know, if do you have something of value to offer? Because frankly, the insurance salesperson in the example we, I, I gave before could could hire a plane and skywrite their invite, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it wouldn't work. Right. Wouldn't want to have the meeting. On the other hand, Richard Branson could, you know, mumble and stumble and screw up his words and get it all completely wrong. But we'd all say yes because of the inherent value in the meeting. So yeah, of course, te you know. 
having a better technique is going to get you incremental improvements, but having something of real value is going to get you order of magnitude improvements. So for me, that, that's the place to start. Right. So then how do we translate that then into email marketing? Okay, so it, it, it kind of depends on the type of email marketing we're talking about. Because if you think of kind of on a scale, um, when you're emailing people, you could be emailing them completely cold. You could be emailing them um, as a, like a one-off, as a follow-up to a meeting you've had. You've met them in, a, in an event. Mm-hmm. Someone's referred you to them or whatever. And then, of course, you've got the kind of permission-based email marketing where they maybe come to your website and they've signed up for your newsletter, etc. Um, so you may want to do different things in different cases. But I think when we're talking about salespeople, especially if you work for an organization, you probably have less discretion and control over the people signing up for the emails and the regular newsletter and stuff that goes out. So if we if we look at maybe the, the first couple of conditions where you're emailing cold or or if you're following up, let's, let's take the follow-up one as an example. So let's say you, you, you know, you've met someone, you had an interesting discussion with them, um, you you know you talked about topics X Y and Z. Nothing immediately came of it. Um, usually, what most of us do, if there's no immediate actions, we we then never follow up with that person. Of course, we we only we only get back in touch maybe to say, oh you you know we spoke a few months ago and you weren't quite ready to move forward with the project. Are you ready now? And of course, that's a contact point that's not adding any value. The only person who gets any value from that contact is you if they say yes. Or you might, you know, email them and say, oh, would it, you know, I'd really be interested in getting together and finding out more about your business so I could, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all, all it sounds to the client at the other end is me, 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 kind of self-interest. Right. You know, obviously, in order to propose the best solution to a potential client, we need to know more about their business and we need to find out about their needs and their buying process and all that kind of stuff. But... To them, they already know what they need and they already know their buying. Maybe they know their buying process. So they're not getting any value from it. It's only us getting value from it. The value for, for them is ju- is potentially downstream if you offer something great to them, but that's by no means guaranteed. So um, instead of emails that follow-up emails kind of chasing and just checking in, I hate any email that begins just checking in. Mm, it's doomed to failure, I think. Just checking in to see how you are. Well, what value is that adding? So just th- the first thing to think is, how can I add value with this email? And you might decide that for a really high potential prospect, you want to be emailing them at least once a month. Don't think about emailing them once a month just to check in or to try and get a meeting with them to ask them about what they need. Think about that person and what you know about them and what you could send them that might be valuable or useful. So that might be a link to an article that you've seen or an article you've written, ideally, because that builds your own credibility on a topic that you know they're interested in. Um, or it might be you introduce them to a person of interest, or you might might be you invite them to an event, mm-hmm. uh, like a conference or a presentation, that you think might be useful to them. So just go through, and, and over time, the more and more you do this, the more you build up your own database of useful stuff that you can email to people or you can invite people to, um, and sometimes it can it doesn't have to be all that formal. So if you know someone reasonably well, then you you, you know if they're the kind of person who enjoys, you know, industry gossip or talking about, you know, oh, did you hear so and so moved from this company to that company? I wonder how that's going to play out. And that's valuable to them. So you, value is in the eye of the beholder in many ways. Oh, absolutely. And that's, absolutely. And that's why that's why of course when you meet people and you talk to them at events, it's absolutely critical that you you know you focus on asking them questions and finding out about them rather than spending time telling them how great you are. So the right. more you know, the more you know about them, the better the impression you make, as we know. But also the more more able you are to follow up um, afterwards based on what they're interested in. 
Yeah, I think it was. You know, I was gonna say a couple of tips for that too. That are very easy for salespeople because you know, salesperson's probably not gonna write something very often in terms of original content. Is set up Google alerts, right? Mm. So when you get a new prospect, some you met at a meeting, think there might be some opportunity for follow up. Set up a Google alert with several keywords about their business, their industry, the company, competitors, you know, whatever you want. And every day, Google sends you an email with a bunch of links to articles and white papers and and so on. And so you're never going to be short of things that might have relevance and value to a prospect, given the value of the World Wide Web that's out there. Absolutely. You almost never have that. And then what I like to do is I'll send an email instead of saying, hey, checking in. Instead, just say something like, uh, geez, Mr. Prospect, I was thinking about you this morning when I read this article about you know, how companies like yours are using technology to improve whatever, you know, throughput or yield or whatever your business. But just simple, simple thing like that. And then you can, if you want, say... You know, it's a couple points in there. I think it'd be great for us to discuss. Do you have time Tuesday at nine o'clock to do it? Absolutely. So you're using the 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 thing of value you send them as a springboard to get your meeting. And again, you know, but but you're just in the, in the example you gave there, you're asking for a meeting where again you can add more value by discussing this thing of interest, right? As opposed to, hey, here's an article about football. Um, would you like to meet to for me to ask you questions about about your business? Right. You know they're not related. Not they're actually adding value in the follow. Hey, by the way, in terms of tools, I've just come across very recently a really great tool. I think that 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 um, a bit like Google Alerts, it's a tool called Grapevine Six. Oh. Uh, it's completely free right now. I, have no, I think it, it's pretty new. So, you know, of course, I'm sure they might be thinking of charging for it in the future. It's called grapevines6.com. Now, is that um, spelled out six or numeric six? Numeric six. So okay. numeric six. So the word grapevine and then six.com. And what you do is you sign in with your LinkedIn profile. Um, and basically, it just scans your LinkedIn contacts. Um, and then for your first, so what you would want to do is any prospects that you, you meet, you'd like to follow up with, you would, uh, you'd connect with, offer to connect with them on LinkedIn. Um, and what it does is it checks out their interests on LinkedIn. It checks out what they're actually posting updates about and what you, the kind of things they're in, they seem interested in based on their LinkedIn profile. And it then suggests articles related to those interests. Very cool. So it's, Very so cool. it's almost like a little art of, and it, it lets you change it. So I have a friend, I, I just tested it out recently, and I have a friend who is a, a sales trainer based in Scotland, and I, I he was the first name that came up on the list, and he does customer service and sales, and it did indeed say customer service sales, and then it said insurance. And and he must have, for example, put out a message to his network saying, hey, anyone got any good quotes for professional indemnity or whatever? Um, so that was, so I just you know, uncheck the tick box next to it so it wouldn't show me any on that. So you can adjust what those interests are. It also lets you put in their Twitter profile and their Facebook um, link if they've got that, and it'll check those. Um, and even even if you don't use the articles that um, that it recommends, it's still got this little graph there of what the, the things they seem to be interested in are. So So that gives you information for the future to let you say, hey, I'm going to, you know, talk to them about that topic. I wonder why they're interested in that. Um, or send them articles about that topic or whatever it might be. So oh, it is a cool. really handy little intelligence tool. It's a kind of thing, if you had many hours in the day uh, and you had a really high potential prospect, you might do manually. You might go and look at their LinkedIn prospect uh, profile. You might see where they're mentioned in Google. As you said, you'd have the Google alerts feeding you information. You know, you, for a really high potential prospect, you know, if you only had one potential client in the entire world, you do all the research you possibly could to find out about them. This tool just lets you do not that amount of research, but a good amount of research automatically and just drops it on your desktop. 
Perfect, perfect. I love it. Well, we're going to take a short break. Now, before we go on the break, though, I have a hypothetical scenario to pose for you, and you can think about it during the break. Come back, we'll get your answer. So here it is. You've just been hired as a new sales manager at a company that needs a sales turnaround. And senior management really has a highly developed sense of urgency to make it happen. So what two things would you do in the first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? So think about that, and I'll be back with my guest, Ian Brody. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. And we're back. I'm here today with Ian Brody, author of Email Persuasion. So before we jump back into talking about email marketing, uh, an email for follow-up and so on. So we, I posed a scenario for you right before the break about you've been hired as a new sales manager to do a sales turnaround. What are the two things you do in the first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? I, I would do two things. I'm working here on the assumption that I'm not going to fire the entire sales force and hire a completely <laughs> well, brand new. Well, that's up, that's up to you. That's up to you. <laughs> I, I will work on the assumption that we're going to we'll keep people we've got at least for now until at least until I know more about them. I would do two things. Um, usually I find um, a couple of things to be true. Um, one thing that I find to be true is there's always some kind of 80-20 going on in your client accounts. And very often, although everyone knows 80-20 in theory, very few people are living 80-20, um, especially when it applies um, across the across the whole business. So, you know, you just usually for, for purposes of common sense, you divide up you divide up, um, you know, sales reps into territories or whatever it might be. And so everyone's usually got a big one and a medium and one right, and a small right. one. And usually what ends up is you end up um, dividing your effort, often based on who seems to be the most friendly and acceptant rather than wandering into to, um, to resistance. So often very high potential clients don't get covered as much as they should simply because they may be a bit more challenging. So what I, what I would do is probably get everyone together and we would pool our ideas and thoughts and resources and do an analysis of what the real 80-20 is in terms of our client accounts and focus as a team on the top 20% and doing something there. Because I, I, that whenever I've looked at something like that, it almost always works. Because, um, you know, s- s- I think it's almost like a, a natural tendency is that you just drift away from that obsessive focus on the top yeah, 20. Yeah, yeah. The second thing I would do is I would build on strengths. So I'm a great believer that it's much easier to build on what's working um, and generate a real load of positive momentum behind that than it is to spend all your time, you know, digging around in what's not working and why might that not be and how can we fix it, etc. So it, in combination with 
getting everyone together and looking at the top 20% of clients and really fo- refocusing our efforts on them and maybe reallocating and inevitably finding that one person who's not working on that account actually knows someone in that account, all that kind of stuff. What I would also do is get from the team what has been working really well for everyone individually, share that across the team and just get that more consistently implemented everywhere. So pick the top two or three things that are working well already. So rather than you know getting stuck in recriminations and you know and discussions about root causes of various problems we can worry about those later i would just do more of what is working well i love it great answer all right so back to email now you've got this powerful tool called the 21 word email so tell people what that is and how it works well, you know, it works a lot like you were actually just saying yourself when you were um, talking about following up. So um, 21 word email is just a short email that you can send to certain types of um, potential clients. And I find one of the keys to getting things going fast, as we just said with with that 80-20, um, if you want someone to buy something from you fast, um, if you think of the conditions before someone will be ready to buy, obviously they have to have a problem or a goal they're trying to achieve that's relatively urgent. Otherwise, there's no no real uh, motivation to, to buy anything. Um, the second thing is they need to, you know, you need to have credibility that you or your company's products and services can solve that problem. And the third thing is they need to have a you know reasonably high degree of trust, um, a good relationship with you, so that they know that in the, you know even though in theory. You know, you're telling them that this is a great solution. If they can't really trust you, then they don't know whether it's going to play out or you might you might disappear after the sale or whatever. So those three things have to be in place. And they have to have a problem um, that's relatively urgent. You have to have some credibility and you, you have to have some trust. So if you want to get a sale fast, um, you know, trust and credibility and the existence of a problem often take time to develop. Um, so, you know, long term, you want to be connecting with people when their problems are just arising, building trust and credibility over time so that you're, you know, the, the you're top of mind when they really decide to do something. But if you want to do something fast, what you have to do is go the other way around and find people for which as many of those three conditions are actually already in play. So you want to try and find people amongst your contact base who already trust you, who already think you're credible or your company's credible and who you already know have some kind of problem. Um, so one of the one of the places you can go to look there that um, I find works really well is what I call dropped prospects. Mm-hmm. So um, whenever you um, work with a potential client, you know, you've maybe had a couple of meetings with them, you've talked about doing some work with them, or them buying your product, and then and then you know for one reason or another it doesn't it doesn't happen. Now, usually our assumption when that doesn't happen is, you know, they hate me, they fell out with me, my competitor was much better, they're an idiot. You know, you make all these assumptions about why the deal didn't go ahead. And often they're, often they're just not true. It could well be, for example, that, you know, six months ago when the deal didn't go ahead, um, they had another you know problem elsewhere in their business and other priorities took over. So they deprioritized this or they just had a problem getting hold of the budget. Or they may indeed have gone with a competitor, but that might not have worked out. So um, often, if you go back to drop prospects from three, six, nine months ago, the great thing about drop prospects is you obviously got far enough in the sales process that they trusted you and you had credibility enough to have a series of meetings with them. And you know they have a problem. They had a problem then. But with drop prospects, it may well be that um, the reason that they didn't go ahead with you does not exist anymore. So maybe... 
they've got the budget now. Maybe right. that other priority has been solved. Maybe they worked, you know, they tried working with a competitor, but it fell through. So that's not always going to be the case. But very often, a drop prospect is actually a very good prospect for oh, the abs- exact same thing absolutely. you talked about. And some companies have thousands of them. I mean, I was talking to a company not that long ago, had 6,000 names that fell into this category. So they had never followed up with. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But we, I mean, psychologically, it's understandable because you've got this huge buildup of, of excitement. And then when they say no, you get this huge, oh, no, it's a disaster. And you almost have to justify it in your own mind. We, it's almost like we can't live with the thought that we only failed by a whisker. And that we <laughs> well, so and most failure mind. is. Most, most failure is, right? I, I'm a firm believer that the margin of defeat or margin of victory, either one, in sales is 1%. Oh, absolutely. It can absolutely be. It's 1%. Ment- mentally, though, what we do is we say, oh, no, they hated us. You know, oh, they must, I must have said something wrong. Oh, no, right, right. you know, they must be idiots. Oh, no, the, you know, the, 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 our competitor must have done some sneaky deal with them behind the scenes. And we, in mentally, in order to, to kind of close the cognitive dissonance we have about, about you know, why we, why we didn't win, we, we create all these excuses and reasons in our mind that actually aren't true. And actually, just as you were saying, if you go back to them, you might find they're very open to talking to you. And even if you go back to them, even if that same deal isn't on the table, there might be something else. But the key is you've got to go back to them in a way that just isn't there. Oh, we spoke six months ago. <laughs> Are you ready to progress now? Because that's not value added. That's, that's kind of nagging. That might work every now and then, but you'll get a much better um response if you go back to them with a value-added email. So usually my 21-word email runs something along the lines of, you know, hi, whatever the name is, or, you know, dear so-and-so. Um, are you still interested in, then boom, whatever the thing they were interested in, you know, are you still interested in cutting your procurement costs? I thought you might find this article useful. So then you just point them at one of those articles we were just talking about before that obviously relates to the topic that you were talking about before. So it's got to be a sp- an article or a resource of some sort that specifically deals with the topic you were talking to them about before. So that brings it back to their mind. It adds value. It take, it increases your credibility um, over and above where it was before. And then just underneath, exactly as you were saying before, Andy, you just say to them, you know, would you be interested in discussing over a short coffee, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all it takes. Now, the, the funny thing I think about the 21-word email is um, I've had – whenever I suggest this to people – I get, I get emails back. You days they say, I can't believe it. I had, a, I had a meeting set up within a day. I had three meetings set up within a week. But the funny thing I find is that, you know, the structure of the email, the value-added nature of the email, yes, I've just said it makes it more likely people will say yes because you're adding value. But I think the biggest thing it does is in the psychology of the person sending the email, it makes them feel more comfortable sending it. Mm-hmm. Because I think very many people, when they've dropped a prospect and they're feeling as if the relationship has dropped off a bit, they feel embarrassed getting back in touch. And so they don't. And and an email just going back saying, hey, we haven't spoken for six months. You know, how's it going with that project? Some people are absolutely fine doing that. And if you're absolutely fine doing that, that's great. But a lot of people aren't. A lot of people kind of feel a bit icky about doing that. But the, the very nature of adding a little bit of value add, you know, um, thought you might find this article useful. That gives them the confidence to think, hey, I'm, I'm strengthening my relationship through this email, even if they're not ready to go ahead now, even if that other competitor is doing great with them, even if they exactly. still have the budget. I've strengthened my relationship. I'm in a well, better position than I was before. And it gives them the courage to send the email. Well, yeah, and I think I, I agree. And I think one of the beauties of this approach that Ian's laid out with the 21-word email is when people have to go back 
they always want to write too much, right? They always want to say, they struggle with what to come up with, and it's always too much. And this is just right to the point and value-added. You've got a really good point there, you know. I, I must be honest, I had not thought about it, but you do. You have, and the more you write, I found this, I did a cold, it was a LinkedIn message campaign a couple of years ago, um, and it was just to connect with people and offer them one of my free reports. And I sent it out to consultants and coaches who, who are my, my kind of target market. And the first draft I came up with it was really good sales copy in the sense that it was, um, you know, it introduced the report. It had some bullet points about how great the report was and, you know, the wonderful things they'd learn in the report and how it would benefit them. Um, and I, I just bounced it off a friend of mine who is a, a really brilliant copywriter. And he kind of looked at it and he said, you know, this is great sales copy, but it's, it doesn't feel like a little personal message you would send someone. Mm-hmm, it feels mm-hmm. like you're trying too hard. Right. And so I rewrote it and just made it a really simple, you know, hi, um, you know, it, um, I, I noticed we're, you know, either connect on LinkedIn. Or I noticed you're in the so-and-so group on LinkedIn and you're a consultant like me. Um, in, in the past few weeks, I've written this, uh, I've created this, um, I've, I've taken the approach I've been using um, to winning more clients and written into a short report. And I'm just sharing it with lots of other consultants so they can benefit from it. If you like a copy, you know, you just hit reply and I'll send it to you. So it was really short. There was no attempt to sell it. It was just, there was a kind of subtle, hey, it's worked really well. And the name of it was pain-free marketing, which in and of itself is attractive. But there was no kind of bullet points and sales copy in there. And I think it's the same with the 21-word email. The more you write, the more it feels like you're trying too hard. Exactly. And, of course, the the more you'll procrastinate as well, trying to get the perfect words. Well, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. So here's a template. And at the end of the episode, Ian's going to tell you where you can find out more about it. So great advice. We're going to jump into the last segment of the show where I ask you some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. Purely up to you. You ready? Let's go. All right. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Oh, I've got to say email, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so name one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without. Right now, I would probably say contactually. There's only the one of me, so I don't have to manage a big team. Mm-hmm. So man- so it's self-management, and it's contactually because it's a little CRM that reminds you when you haven't been back in touch with people who you said you should be back in touch with on a regular basis. Right. It's a, it's a very good app. So who's your sales role model? My sales role model? Oh, gosh, I've got loads. Um, I'm going to give you an unusual one. Um it's a guy called James. I don't even know his second name. He's a guy who appeared at our house about five years ago. Funny looking guy, very weather beaten face, missing a tooth. And he knocked on the door and said, would you like me to clean your gutters out? Um, and, you know, he offered to do it for £10. And for £10, what are you going to do? You're not going to say no to someone cleaning your gutters out. You don't want to bother doing it yourself. So he went off and did it. He did a good job. And then he came back and he, and he said, you know, while I'm here, I've noticed your decking's looking a bit... A bit, a bit, a bit, you know, the paint's gone a bit on. If you want, I could come back and take a look at that and maybe refresh that. And he did that, and he went through a series of upsells. And this is a guy <laughs> who I, I don't think went to school after he was about the age of 12, but he went through this perfect upsell sequence of just offering me some value right. with the £10 gutter clean, doing a really good job of it that built some credibility, and then I'd earned him just enough credibility for him to pitch me the next thing up, which in this case was, was you know, doing my, doing my decking, etc. So I would say James is probably my role model because he did it really well. He still comes back every year, still always managed to find extra jobs to do, um, and we still always say yes. Excellent. Love it. So what's the one book, sales book or not, what's the one book every salesperson should read? 
Um, I'm going to say, and this is particularly for people um, who, like people like consultants and th- and coaches or, or people who need to sell who aren't naturally great salespeople. And I found a book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play by Mahan Khalsa. And there's a second edition, which, which is currently with, by, with Randy Illig was a really great book for me. It gave me lots of different ways of thinking about selling and my attitude and my mindset to it and a whole bunch of techniques that really worked very well for me. Excellent. Yeah, you're the second person who's mentioned that book. I would, I would also say I, I do happen to think that Spin Selling or Making Major Sales by Neil Rackham is almost like the foundation of a lot of these things. So you can see bits of Neil's work in almost everything. It's almost like the, the, I remember once when I was working for a client who was uh, – Ran a steel, is the managing director of a steel mill, and uh, we were doing a project for for him. And one of the people in the uh, in, in on the uh, kind of in the audience as he was speaking said, uh, he, "Ralph, the, the the managing director, had gone up and said, you know, this is our number one priority right now.'" And the guy, one of those cynics in the audience, put up his hand and said, um, "But I thought you said safety is always our number one priority." <laughs> of, course, of course, it is in a, in a, in a steel mill. Um, people die, and it's, and Ralph kind of thought for a second and then said. He said, yes, he said, but but safety is in our blood. This is our number one priority. So I'd like to say spin selling should be in everyone's blood. <laughs> and, right. then the, and, then the, and then the book I'd look at is Let's Get Real and Let's Not Play. Excellent. Here's a tough question. So your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for an important meeting or sales call? Uh, I, it, it, for me, it really varies. For me, it really varies. It depend, you know, I've got like really very taste that change over time. Mm-hmm. But probably, if I was to, have to fall back on one, it would probably be "This Is the One" by the Stone Roses. Okay, gosh, first time we had that answer. Wow. Probably, I grew up with the Stone Roses here because I moved to Manchester in the mid eighties. Yeah, um, and they were the big band in my the big cult following in Manchester, and helped form that whole scene that that took over the UK for about ten years. And that was one. I think that's one of their best. And it and it has the the interesting thing about that song is I played at workshops as well. It speeds up as it goes through, so it starts off relatively slow, but the beat is very driving right. and it gets faster and faster. I like that. I like so that, you come yeah. to the end and you're kind of pumped up because it's got fast. It kind of catches you by surprise and then gets your pulse going faster and faster. All right, Stone Roses, excellent. ACDC is number one so far. So, um, <laughs> so what's the first sales activity you do every day? The first sales activity I do every day. Well, firstly, I don't do a sales activity first. Um, I am a great believer. Um, I do some. I try and read first. Okay. I try and read first and do something creative. And one of the reasons for that is um, I read a little while back some stuff by Dan O'Reilly, you know, the um, the economist mm-hmm. that said your brain is not a, isn't working at its peak until about an hour after you wake up. So I, I, I do stuff like reading to try and get my brain. I sound like a machine here. I don't, I don't always do it. Mainly I, st- mainly I stagger into the kitchen and grab a coffee, obviously. But, um, but apart from that, ideally I would like to, to read a bit first. Um, and then the first sales activity, especially on a Monday, would be follow-up. So it would be looking at my list of my top priority contacts and thinking what kind of follow-up can I do to build my relationship with them. Excellent. All right, last question. What is the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? You know, I don't get asked a lot of questions by salespeople. I get asked a lot of questions by people who need to sell but aren't great. Oh, well, that's at fine. That's same thing. What's the question you get um, asked? And the, the number one question is is almost always some form of how can I do it without being pushy, without being seen as 
you know, being a salesperson without without it coming across negatively. And there's always two answers to that. Um, the first answer is often a little bit harsh, and it's look, if you cannot bring yourself, none, none of us, very very few of us, are naturally extrovert people who love reaching out to new people. But if you cannot bring yourself to reach out to someone you don't know and speak to them, then maybe you ought to consider getting a job rather than running your own business or exactly or right. So 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 do have a think about it. if you're so far to the extreme. Most of us are somewhere in the middle of the normal curve. You know, we're not that extreme extrovert salesperson who has no problem with it, but neither are we that total introvert who can't speak to anyone they don't already know. If you are in that, then consider another job. Um, but for most of us in the middle, the thing then is, um, you know, that goes back to exactly what we said, we were talking about earlier. Find a way of adding value with your key communications. That way people will want to listen to them more and you'll feel better about doing them. Excellent. And for people to find out more about how to do that, Ian Brody, tell people how they can learn more about you. Uh, they can just go either to www.ianbrody.com. And we'll, uh, and we'll you know, spell that just I-A-N-B-R-O-D-I-E.com. Yes, indeed, dot .com. Um, just go there and you'll get, you know, that, that's my blog, my regular videos, and plenty of offers to, to get hold of the 21-word email. Um, and the other thing is, if you're interested in the book, there's a website called emailpersuasion.com that um, contains a load of free resources and videos and other training specifically about email marketing. Great. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. Again, my guest has been Ian Brody, coming to us from all the way from the UK, just south of Manchester. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher is an easy way to make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Ian Brody, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling, interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone. And text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a 9 and a 6 followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there.